Welcome to Real History, shows what you know about history. On this podcast, we talk about historical movies and TV, anything that claims to be based on a true story, and we check how bad did they mess it up? What was life actually like during that time period? Well, that's why we're here, to separate the real history from the real history. My name is Jacob Burrows, and I don't know anything about history. And my name is Michael Tynan, and I'm... Not 100% sure what civil war we're on now. Is it the 10th one? Is it the 12th one? Is it the 13th one? But those Romans, you know, they really should have given peace a chance. <laughs> All right, Mark. Well, I'm Mark Bell, and thanks to a lovely French lady, I'm comprised 90% of cake. Mm. Indeed. So uh, we're talking about the HBO series Rome. Shocker. Uh, This is the last episode, so we're going to try to uh, (laughs) wrap it all up neatly. But last time we did go up until the end of uh, one of the civil wars, as you said, Michael. Uh, It would have been the defeat of the assassins of Caesar at the Battle of Philippi in 42 BC. So, uh, of course... Uh, our friend Julius Caesar was famously assassinated in March in 44 BC. So that's been two t- tumultuous years there that we've covered of what happened immediately afterwards. But the HBO show Rome, it does go on for another 10 years. Uh, well, not in real time, but in, in the time of the show, it covers another 10 years. And basically, we're just uh, going to cover the politics of what happened after because it's not like things were settled after that battle. No, really. no, certainly not. Organized chaos resumes very shortly. Uh, so I suppose we, we need to look at, I think we're looking at 40 BC, Mark. It's basically yeah. the triumvirate under Octavian, Mark Antony, and Lepidus, who, just don't worry about Lepidus, we've, we've already Full gone Lepidus. into that, uh, have reigned triumphant, and they decide to kind of renew their wedding vows in 40 <laughs> BC. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah, and they'd actually have a wedding. So... In order to kind of cement this triumvirate, they they decide to basically divide up the Roman world. So Mark Antony, our rock star general, uh, he gets the east, which he's very happy about because he's full of money. It's where all the the money is. Also, Antony is, as I was saying in the last episode, big fan of Greek culture. This gives him Greece. Anything, Anything basically east of the Adriatic, that's his. And Octavian gets Rome, so he's really happy because he can weasel his way into the Senate and, you know, and he gets the rest of the West, which was his father, adopted father's uh, power base with Gaul and this. And Lepidus gets Africa, so, you know, that's fine. But don't worry about Lepidus. Just, Just on Africa, when we say Africa, we literally mean, like, the area around the city of Tunis, not... Africa. Yeah, <laughs> just they called it Africa. They called us the province of Africa. We'd call it yeah. kind of, yeah, it's a, a tu- modern day Tunisia yeah. type of thing, you know? They do also mention Carthage, and that's a big hole we can get into, but generally mm. that would have fallen there as well. That's where Lepidus is. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. That's yes. where Lepidus hangs out. Well, that's Carthage, the ruins of Carthage are outside the modern city of Tunis. So that's where that is, yeah. That's where Lepidus is hanging out. And to further cement this bond, basically Octavia and. Um, decides to give his sister, Octavia, uh, Yeah, they weren't hardly Mark original Antony. with their names, the Romans. No, no. Easy to remember, though, for once. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I can't really talk. Everyone in my family's called Michael or John, so, you know, like, <laughs> can't, uh, you know, those in glass houses and all that, you know. Um, but, yeah, so they decide to renew their bonds together. Uh, there is a marriage, and the 
they also kind of have a problem, I suppose, that we need to go into again. We touched on it in the last episode where they funded they funded their wars, this triumvirate, by basically confiscating and killing their rivals and taking their land. And there was a similar problem this time because they had just had a massive war and they had a, a thousand, literally thousands of soldiers who were all looking for their plot of land. So the prescriptions renewed at this time and they were not popular people, you know, uh, like Octavian back in Rome was not popular because he was robbing everyone's land and giving it away. And so he had a really kind of bloody reputation, you know. So that's kind of where we where we are in 40 BC, you know. I'm kind of wondering as well, because the, the triumvirate, that's, I was not clear originally on if that's something that we call them, or do they call themselves that? Was that a contemporary thing? But then in the show, they refer to, like, they're referred to as triumvirs or whatever, part of a triumvirate. And, but I'm like, there's no, that's not like an official title, obviously, in Roman society, as far as I can tell. So I'm just kind of wondering, maybe we don't know the answer to this, but like, what's, where does that come from? What's this deal? I think it depended if the, if it was out in the open open or not you know so like yeah. officially with pompey and it, the first triumvirate with pompey and um crassus and julius caesar it wasn't officially in the open mm. originally this so, one is a little bit more well known i yeah. think the first triumvirate is sort of an open secret this one is not at all a secret and where they call triumvirs yeah people refer to them as the triumvirs yeah yeah, yeah. So they all head off to their respective uh, territories anyway at this stage. Yeah, and this, I mean, if I understood it right, based mostly on the show, if I'm being honest, this was partially like, we're going to avoid a civil war by just divvying stuff up and getting away from each other because we're getting on each other's nerves. We've defeated our common enemy. I mean, again, it's we, we haven't gone into it in much detail, but in the show, there's like a battle between uh, Octavian's forces and Mark Antony's forces mm-hmm. before they decide, you know what? We hate Brutus more than we hate each other. Let's d- yeah. let's deal with that instead. Yeah, and officially, like the, they w- their propaganda would have been, oh, we defeated Brutus and the liberators to restore the Republic, as usual, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. Know? In terms of like the, the senators, the Senate, its position, like it's, it's as Michael said, it, the, the guys are not popular with the Senate because they know really the triumvirate are in power because Caesar's legions are following these guys. And that's, that's what it's all about, really. I mean, you, you're dividing these, as you say, enormous army among the three principal generals of the army. And like the other thing is like all of these civil wars took their toll on the senatorial class of Rome. So a lot of them were dead. A lot of the great houses had been, like if you think about Cato, uh, if you think about um, everyone from Cicero uh, to Pompey, a lot of the big names were gone at this Yeah, stage, the Scipio you know? family are gone at this point, I think, right? Metallus. Yeah. And a lot of their lands are confiscated in that. So yeah. like the, the, the new triumvirate flood the Senate with their own guys, their own yes-men yeah. at this stage, you know? So that's kind of where we're sitting at this time, you know? Well, we have to... We've basically... The one person we've saved for this episode is Octavian, or as he becomes known later, Augustus? Correct. Yeah. Yes, correct. So, uh, I mean, obviously we already mentioned he's the son of Atia, and I don't know who else. Gaius Octavius. Yeah. Gaius Octavius. Right. Great name. Not in the show. No, well, yeah. he, Gaius Octavius uh, died when uh, Octavian, the, the character Augustus, as as was, uh, when he was, I think he was about four. Mm, so yeah. he doesn't really f- figure into it much. Yeah. That family aren't actually that important anyway. 
to yeah. be honest. And like, of course, he's yeah. Julius Caesar's nephew, so we know. Yeah, that. yeah. Like I can go into a little bit about his origins if you want. Um, like he's, to be honest, it's a fairly like. It, it's a fairly obscure family. It wasn't a famous family, you know, Octavian's like, for example, he, he was born outside of Rome. So he wasn't at the heart of Rome. Uh, it was a little town called Velitru. Um, and it, that was in the year of 63 BC. So it's actually the year that con- uh, we spoke about in the last episode that Caesar, that Cicero was consul. Um, and there was a prophecy, apparently, that said, of course. Uh, there always is. Yeah. So it sounds like something he wrote later. But yeah, I wonder, did somebody make this up after the fact? <laughs> and it was Su- Suetonius, I think. Yeah. And he w- he said that uh, one day a citizen of this city, so Velitri, would rule the world. Mm. So, hmm, you know, here we sure. go. The boy yeah. who would be king. So as Mark said, like his father wasn't a significant figure. Like he was a new man as well. Like we spoke of, uh, he was actually this, his father was the son of a freedman. So like he would have been descended from a slave. Right now in later years to obviously to add to Octavian's mystique and to try and like, like we said in previous episode, Julius Caesar was apparently descended from Venus. Octavian was apparently descended from Apollo. And how this came about was Attia was impregnated by a snake who had who was Apollo um, transformed essentially. Sure. Now, just just to just to draw just to just to maybe put some um, context onto that. That is a really really common trope in the ancient world. That was what was claimed with Alexander the Great, for example, that his father was actually Zeus and had impregnated his mother Olympia. By becoming a snake, I don't know why a snake is such a weird thing. Like, why a snake? But anyway, why not a it's, snake? It's it's really common. <laughs> this whole thing of claiming that you're the son of God is a well, very very common thing. It's something. Time. I mean, obviously, see, in, we see in fiction that depicts this time. But is it like? Do you think that it would be uh, something that actually people? believed literally or figuratively i mean i know they made like octavian makes uh, caesar a god in this but like and it. then you make temples to them or whatever but like how literally like well like uh, he, in later him. years octavian uh would have created like he would have tried Cult. to yeah cults towards himself but he also would have built temples to apollo and pointed towards that as you know obviously obviously i'm descended from apollo like mm. how, how literally would it be taken the educated classes know what he's doing. True, they, they know they know this is a political move, but bear in mind that like Rome at this point, its population is it's by far the biggest city in the world. Like it's not it's not close. It's way way out, and most of those people are illiterate. And they're fairly credulous, and they don't really a lot of their lives might revolve around. The same way that some people who you might call really sad now have lives revolving around celebrity news and all of that kind of stuff. That's kind of what the the plebs are like. These people, these the senatorial classes, the political machinations, a lot of the time it's just sort of entertainment for them. But they're bought in. They buy into these things. They buy it's, into these figures. They buy a bit into like mystique. Us. Yeah, the same yeah. way that we only, do with uh, We obsess like. over people who died 2,000 years ago. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so they, they buy into these things. So it's only natural for somebody like uh, Octavian to uh, take advantage of a, a big well of credulity that exists there and, and make it a semi-religious or a fully religious uh, um, cult. Mm-hmm. So this is where like the cult of the emperor comes from, that we're sort of other countries and other societies later adopt. Yeah. And he was kind of... Sorry, Jake. No, I was just going to say, in the show, Octavian, at relatively young age, is depicted as a canny, 
sort of smart fellow do we know yeah. anything about his uh, growing up yeah no he was actually main after his dad died he was mainly raised mark said uh, i think he was four he was mainly raised by caesar's sister julia so would have been his grandmother yeah i suppose yeah um so he he was like caesar would have been aware of the boy and i suppose would have nurtured him in a lot of ways you know um but like you said jacob he was uh, studious he was like cunning but he was also sort of he had a reputation in his youth for being sickly uh not he wasn't a great warrior as we'll see he kind of relied on he had a great bunch of friends around him who were extremely talented and they made up for any shortcomings he had when it came to being like a great commanding general and that and, type and of thing. his mother atia very unlike the show i was referencing in the last episode she was kind of like one of those helicopter moms you know where she was like shielding him from a lot of stuff when he's when he's a youth he can't in comparison to his contemporaries, like he's pretty useless when it comes to fighting. Like he's not a he's not going to lead troops into battle. He's not like his great uncle, yeah, Julius Caesar. He relies very heavily on on the man who's portrayed in the show, and in most cases in real life as his best friend, which is a, which is a guy he meets in, as a teenager called Marcus Agrippa. Agrippa is the general. He's he's the great military leader. He's played by, is I think Alan Leach in the yeah. He's portrayed well too. He, yeah. He's he's good in the show, um, but Agrippa is probably one of the like he's he's underrated because he's not as famous as he should be in terms of his military prowess he's a very very canny general very very good general and he essentially wins the battles that octavian orchestrates i saw uh, it written somewhere that he was a in they were kind of a double team yeah and octavian was the brain and agrippa was the sword that's the way it was sort of portrayed so you know together they were formidable uh, separately they might have had problems you know so they just found each other and whatever chemistry they had between them they they stayed with each other for life you yeah know, they had, it was a, their families even intermarried and they're, they're just really really close friends they're well close. speaking of in the show i don't know if we have any information on this but agrippa uh, of course is portrayed as being in love with uh, yeah, octavia. octavia yeah uh is that a thing i think it's more in the show there to sort of a build build an animosity between agrippa and Anthony, I think, really, or to show even like this is what our, this is what like a, a sort of a stoic <laughs> Roman should be like. Whereas, look at Anthony, like he's off just being this absolute heathen in the east. You know what I mean? So it's more portrayed like that in the show. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's also part of as we get into later in the show, Octavian as he becomes this triumvir who is in control of Rome. He's depicted as um, imposing new laws about like conservative values and things like that over a montage of his sister being uh, unfaithful and his mother being unfaithful yeah. and all of that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he was a bit of a prude, although like when it for in, in, when it came to like other people's sex lives, yeah. but himself like. In oh, he was allowed to do whatever he wants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, but, so what do we know about his sex life? I want to hear this in detail, please. Oh, he was notorious, like. Yeah. Like, he, he was going with everyone's wives. Yeah, nice. he, he, he has to, Yeah, it, look, it, it, for Octavian, I think, he's one of these guys who just sort of has a power kink. So it's sort of, and, and that's something that will repeat with future emperors who yeah. are descended in one way or another from him. Not to... Uh, particularly uh, point out Caligula but you kind of have to um, this becomes a, a, sort, a sort of a thing with him but he's a bit of a he's a lech he just has to there's, un, there's only way to put it like he's he's just a lech but his public persona he's he's one of these guys who understands that you you can be one thing in private provided your public persona is something else yeah. now this plays uh, this becomes a problem from years later when he's well entrenched in power and he is the emperor because he's a daughter Julia who uh 
Well, she like she she doesn't behave herself. Basically, she's promiscuous to the point where he exiles her to the island of Capri and won't allow her to be around any men. <laughs> so, like, I would say though, Capri, like that's supposed to be a beautiful island. Well, so as I, as as, as, as be being exiles go, yeah, yeah I go yeah. to this beautiful island <laughs> in the Mediterranean. During his youth, anyway, like Caesar did see something in him. See, like Octavian had no idea he was going to be the heir of Caesar. Um, like he didn't discover this till later. But so, but but at the same time, like Caesar was kind of pushing him towards a public career. So he gave him ex- when when Caesar was alive, he gave him experience in administration, and he actually sent him to Macedonia uh, to kind of be with the Eastern legions. And he was kind. Of, I we can only guess, or you know, but maybe this was so C- Caesar's idea of maybe toughening him, toughening him up and getting him more military experience you know um so like caesar definitely did see something in him but undoubtedly the big turning point in his life was the death of his uncle his uncle uh, caesar um and everything that came after that you know because well, that the, the fact that he's named as he's in caesar's will he posthumously adopts octavian and octavian is well aware what this means i mean he's not just the head of the uh, the family the octavian family but he's now also the head of the julian clan that sort of gens so he's uh he very quickly insists on people referring to him as caesar there's a line in the show where cicero says to him not even caesar himself would do this and octavian replies i am caesar himself which is very very in line with, with how he's playing it he's insisting i'm caesar and not even that like this guy was 19 and he's inheriting millions, the legacy of Caesar and that. And because they had deified, they turned Caesar into a god after his death. Like he went around calling himself, I think you know the term in Latin, Martin, it's Caesar. Divi, Divi Filius, you know, know. So you, god. Imagine like introducing yourself. Hey, what's your name? And you're like, hey, Caesar, son of a god. You know, like imagine having that ego at 19, <laughs> millions and like this massive ambition. Um, so he was like I when I'm looking at this TV show, I don't particularly like Octavian as a character. I don't know what you thought about that, Jacob. Like, did you feel any warmth towards him or anything? Um, well, so you can't really talk about that without talking about the fact that they replaced the actor in mm. uh, season two, which is very weird. Like, this is all to do with that Rome was originally planned to be many more seasons. Yeah. I think because they basically speed through a lot of stuff, and one of them is that uh, the original actor is Octavian as a young man. Uh, he They don't consider him to be old enough or, you know, to have enough presence or whatever in season two. Now, in season one, I really enjoy seeing him uh, grow up and become, like, smarter about what's going on yeah. and, like, start making political moves because it is kind of like a prequel. It's kind of like, you know, watching a, some some supervillain before he becomes a supervillain. Yeah, he's trying to learn the do, trade. Yeah. On a small scale, he sort of does manipulate people and but and, and it all goes to shit for him. So it, none of his things really work out in season one, which to me makes him more likable because he's just trying and failing mm. at, at these things. Yeah, yeah. And then in season two, when things start to go his way a little bit, they replace the actor 
And I get why they would have done that, maybe particularly because they want to have sex scenes with him because it's HBO and everyone has to have sex scenes. And he was only 18 when the season came out, presumably younger when they were filming it. So they couldn't have done that. He maybe wouldn't have had that presence. But for me, the interesting thing was seeing him develop from this snotty, snivelly little kid to becoming the emperor. And I just enjoyed watching that journey. And instead it's like, oh, he's not in an episode. And then in the next one, he's like super handsome now. And he's got these dead shark eyes, which to be fair, he's a good actor. (laughs) If that had been the actor from the start, fair play. But it's just, it totally disconnects the story for me a little bit. It's like, I'm, I'm watching another story now. So I did like him originally. Obviously, he's a bit of a bastard. But like in the way where it's, uh, entertaining for me to watch his manipulations and stuff because I do like political intrigue type stories and someone who's good at it is fun to watch but I just would have liked it more if they somehow could have kept the original actor because mm. he's the one I actually had some sort of attachment to I mean in episode three maybe or two of season two he has this big fight with Mark Anthony yeah. which is just great like that and then at the end of the season like it's it's a fight where he's very much the kid being beaten up by mark anthony and then at the end of the season he's doing the same thing to mark anthony of yeah. course but it's a different actor so it kind of messes with yeah, that you dynamic sort of lose the me. connection yeah um so that's a very uh, long answer to your question of what i thought about octavian yeah, but like the thing i i think is important to, to know about octavian and the later augustus is this after he actually inherits julius caesar's legacy and he kind of is trying to establish himself as a power, as his own power base. Um, like he did a lot of horrible things, you know. No, now he was in a position of weakness. Like initially, Cic- Cicero, who was alive at this time, saw him as a kind of a bulwark against Antony. So Cicero, who was kind of back in the Senate at this time after the assassination, he said who can we use here to fight against Antony? Because he thought Antony was the main yeah. uh, tyrant and a, lo- and a lot of them did and for good reason yeah like anthony's caesar's chief lieutenant he's a loose cannon to put it to put it mildly as we'll see more of in a minute i mean he's really really a loose cannon so for cicero you see a kid who's just announced himself on the political stage he is the heir of caesar it's undeniable legally he's the heir and cicero probably thinks to himself i could use this guy to put anthony and, down. and this was the thing and caesar cicero actually said it's a famous line he said he he didn't seem as a long-term prospect you know, he thought he could use him uh, or the Senate could use him to fight Antony and then he maybe would disappear because he said, we don't want another Caesar, you know. But he said, um, the famous line, he said, he should be raised, praised and erased. <laughs> and like, this was the type of thing typical of Cicero that he would say to a friend in the back alley of the Senate. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it got around Rome. And actually, in reality, uh, the young Octavian heard this. And after that, kind of fell out with Cicero, as we found out in the last episode, you know? It's over now. But um, initially, anyway, Cicero and the Senate f- supported him, and they, like, gave him titles of, and, and consulships at the, at the age of, like, 19 and 20, which was unheard of. Which is seen in the show. Yeah. It's seen in the show where he, he sort of says, well, I rather, I rather thought I'd, I'd have a triumph. And I'm like, mm, you can't really have a triumph if it's against other Romans. It's, it's kind of not what you do. And he's like... Well, what about the consulship? You know, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like mm, maybe we could do that, but I mean, he's nineteen and he's the consul of Rome. It's nonsense. Like it's I, just, I, and this is the thing. And he kind of showed his ambition and his ruthless streak in his youth because, like, he betrayed the Senate. So he was he basically was given control of the Senate's armies 
combined him with his own against Antony, ultimately betrayed them, made an alliance with Antony and Lepidus, as we talked about in the last one, and turned on them all, you know? So he was ruthless. And like I was saying, that this, this kind of black mark on his early career is the fact that at this time when he was consolidating his power, he did awful things, like in terms of robbing people's land, prescribing them, all this type of thing. And there's two sides to him. So basically you have Octavian at this age, which is, you could call him a terrorist in a way. Like he was running amok, like invading the Rome, Rome with armies, takes seizing control. He was doing all of these things. And he's basically, when he becomes Augustus later in life, he basically tried to do try to blot all that out uh, by doing good works and all try, this try to pretend he didn't do it yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. and it ch- completely changes persona so, so he, he he portrayed himself as so it's important to understand at the point at which we, we are now uh, um, the empire is split between the triumvirs and we're gonna lead, obviously there can be only one you know mm. that's essentially where we're gonna not to quote Highlander but we're getting to that point this is a stage at which the Roman Republic has been in some stage of a civil war or another for a century. It's just constant warfare yeah. for a hundred years. So Octavian as Augustus, as emperor, portrays himself as the man who ended the wars. I'm the guy who brought in what he what, what's later referred to as the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And he establishes the empire and ends the wars. And that stays the way things are for a long time when no outside power challenges Rome. And, and the Roman Empire that you think of, that everyone thinks of when you say the Roman Empire, that's Augustus's Rome. Yeah. But that would be at the end of HBO's Rome, right? I yes. Mean, so, so stepping back a little bit, we know a bit about Octavian's, you know, growing up and up to this point. We have to talk about a big part of the story that we haven't touched on, uh, everything going on in Egypt, because, mm. yeah, of course, Mark Anthony goes east uh, yes. as they split up the, the whole regions and all. And Cleopatra is a figure who's very central in the show that we haven't gotten into at all. So she's another one. Like, I'd say even she's culturally, she's a bigger uh, character than Mark Anthony, for example. Like, it's Caesar and Cleopatra is who you know from this uh, age. You might not know anything about them. Maybe she bathed in milk. That's about it. Uh, What was the real uh, Cleopatra like? So, yeah, Cleopatra is definitely, I would say, probably like a historical cultural icon. for lots of for lots of reasons, um, so her she's she's part of what's called the Ptolemaic dynasty. Uh, so the Ptolemaic dynasty is named after a pharaoh who was called Ptolemy. Ptolemy was one of the generals of Alexander the Great. So the name Cleopatra, despite what people might think, is not an Egyptian name at all. It's a Greek name mm. because her family were of Macedonian extraction. So when Alexander conquered Egypt and he died and the empire split up and blah 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 blah. Generals took different areas. And the general Ptolemy took Egypt and he had himself crowned as pharaoh. Fast forward a few hundred years, Cleopatra is uh, the, the daughter of the last pharaoh and she has a young brother who is also called Ptolemy. This is, uh, sorry to cut in, but uh, it's a kind of a touchy subject, but she is very white in the show. So this, She would have been white. Yeah, this yeah. background would explain that, so to speak. Um, but she's very much from the Ptolemaic dynasty who are Greek-speaking culturally Greek, all of those kinds of things. Now, that starts to change in the era around the time where she's born because there's a there's basically a plague. It doesn't, it's not really important what happens, but the, the, the family decide that they're going to Egyptianize themselves. So they start sort of worshipping Egyptian gods and dressing more like Egyptians and so mm. on. At the point walking of which... Walking like Egyptians. Walking like, like Egyptians. Egyptians, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, at the point at which 
um, we see the Romans sort of come onto the scene in the show when Caesar arrives into Egypt. Cleopatra is in the midst of a sort of an uprising against her brother, who is the the boy pharaoh that we see yeah. in the show. Now, Sibling rivalry, you know. The reason why she's having an uprising is because she sees an opportunity for power, and she's not going to let her gender prevent her from taking the power. So she's a bit of a bit of a boss, this one. Like, so she ferments a rebellion, and she sees Caesar come in, and she thinks to herself, "Okay, how can I win the war? I get Rome on my side." So she, she seduces Julius Caesar, and this is true. This is what happened. They had a child called Caesarian, um, and she used her power, the proxy power of Rome, to position herself as the ruler of Egypt. Fast forward to now, she was apparently extraordinarily charming, um, and she knew how to use her charm to get what she wanted. Um, Anthony comes east, because that's the part of the empire that he wants. Naturally, he's going to go to Alexandria in Egypt, which is sort of the eastern, one of the one of the large cities of the east, sort of an eastern capital. That's where uh, Cleopatra is based. So he goes and, and uh, hooks up with her, uh, is completely devoted and besotted and in love with her, to what extent she actually returns the love is difficult to say, but they or do. Was ha- it political? Or was it political? Yeah. Was she using him? Well, especially s- considering how they died. <laughs> but yeah, we'll get yeah, to that. yeah. And I, I would suggest probably she knows what she's doing there, and he's a bit of a fool for her, really. I think. And, um, and they had they had a few kids together. As yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had they have, they have a bunch of kids. Uh, um, it's important to say as well. She has the son by Caesar Caesarian, and Anthony, uh, far from being sort of. Uh, jealous of that child or or in any way bad to that child he's actually very very positive with Caesarian and raises him up and teaches him about Rome tells him about his father all of those kinds of things and he sort of adopts him in as his own sort of son even though as we all know he was actually the child of Titus Pullo according to the show the forest gump of Rome (laughs) a guy who was mentioned once by Caesar Caesar in Rome (laughs) and it's all really important it's a very memorable scene when he's invited into her uh, I suppose bedroom or caravan whatever it was at the time you know that that'll always stick with you you know yeah well i mean lucius verinus got invited first and could have could have been the father of this child but too honorable all, like it all um, too we've obviously talked about the history but like in the hbo show we have to mention again that these two lads just bumbling through history in a forest gump kind of way so it's amazing like, yeah they're everywhere it's just it's great because it ties it all together and i'm sure i've said this before but it just gives us something to uh hold on to like the common man's experience which is like we say at the start of each real history episode what was life actually like during that time i am usually talking about you know the 99 percent who aren't the ruling class but it's very seldom that we actually manage to get into that because like what are we going to talk about what they ate in rome while that would be interesting we also have big events to cover yeah so it's just a great way to see the perspective a bit differently going through the eyes of these two characters who comically just bumble through history (laughs) and like varinus ends up with anthony in in the east yeah. i believe he ends up going with anthony yeah. east right kind of like he's guard was almost yeah he, yeah he appoints him as is, is he second second spirit centurion or is that what he starts out as i can't remember i a just legate, love, maybe there's a scene where he's throwing catch with caesarian yeah. and he yeah. says to add, tell him about his father and yeah. he's telling him about titus Pullo getting all misty-eyed and i'm like this is the bromance of a century yeah. <laughs> i love these two guys but he doesn't know he's talking about titus but yeah. he loves him but they hate each other it's just such a great body cup thing they've got going and, <laughs> and mac was the other important sort of of egypt and why um, I suppose Antony wanted to be in a position to kind of control it as well was because it was a, the breadbasket. Yeah, yeah, Egy- yeah, Egypt is where the is where the food comes from. 
hundred percent. This is this is in his thinking. So while Octavian wants the West, because he, Octavian wants Rome. He just wants to be there. He wants the Senate. He wants to be able to ingratiate himself. He wants to be able to hoard power among the political class. Anthony thinks to himself, the wealth is in the East. The opportunity for glorious war is also in the East. Rome has a neighbor, uh, the Parthian Empire, and this Parthian is this the is the dead. same. This is the same group that Crassus, who we mentioned before in the first round of it. This is how he met his end. He he mistakenly invaded Parthia. Interestingly, one of his officers was uh, Cassius. The Cassius of the of the Liberators. Um, when he invaded uh, Party, it went horribly wrong. So Anthony decides, I'm going to invade Party, and I'm going to have a go with them, and I'm going to beat them. But uh, he doesn't. Um, it goes this horribly is all, wrong. Again. This just to be to be clear, this is all happening in this ten year period, yeah. mo- mostly te- around about ten years between basically the the Battle of Phil- Philippi and the Battle of Actium. And so, so this is what Antony was doing he, during this in, year. In the year thir- it's the year 36, Antony invades Parthia. Now, he has done a deal with Octavian. Uh, Octavian was dealing with um, the remnants of the of um, Pompey Magnus's forces, believe it or not, which are still existing under the leadership of uh, Pompey's son, Sextus. Now, the deal is Antony will swap him ships because he needs to fight the he needs to fight Sextus in the Mediterranean, and Octavian will give Antony troops, and he says okay, so he sends him the ships, and then Octavian just uh, doesn't really send him the troops, <laughs> so he invades Parthia. He's, so, he's a, very, a really backstabber. He's just a backstabber, yeah. yeah. So Antony invades Parthia, expecting that Octavian's troops are going to arrive. Twenty thousand men, he expects. He only gets two thousand. It goes pretty badly. A- Antony is distraught at his failure to defeat Parthia and he runs back to Alexandria into the arms of his queen and this sort of I suppose it's a team here like Antony would have been nearly the senior partner of the triumvirate when it started out without a doubt because he was the general who had won at Philippi he has the reputation he has the name he's sort of more famous but after after this defeat in Parthia am I right that things start to crumble slowly for Antony and it also allows I suppose uh, Octavian back in Rome to start to kind of carry out a character assassination on Antony, saying, "Look, he's off. He this failed is in absolutely what he does. Yeah, he's out in the east. He's in, he's entrapped by this woman. He's been ensnared by this eastern witch. Yeah, that's uh, like all of this. You you when comparing it to the show, you can see the condensation they had to do because all of what you just said happened between two episodes. Yeah. Basically, like Mark Anthony goes east, and in the next episode, it's I don't know five, ten years later or something. Yeah. He has two kids and, yeah. and all this stuff. So where we're at in the show at that point, uh, there's like a a famine and food shortage in mm-hmm. Rome, where Mark Anthony is. Uh, not acting the part of the breadbasket and not sending along yep. the food uh, to Rome. And so this leads to a bunch of intriguing where uh, Octavian sends Mark Anthony's wife, who they've been apart for, I don't know, years at this point, yep. um, and he turns them away and that kind of gives him an excuse to start a war. Am yeah, I, so it's, is it's, this correct? It's, it's sort, sort of correct. What, I, what happens is Anthony marries Cleopatra before he divorces Octavian. Mm. That's just a big no-no. You can't be at that. Even though this is a world where apparently you can just go up to someone like, yeah, you 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 look all right. I'll have you. And they'll go, yeah, if my husband doesn't mind. And they're like, oh, great, no problem. Mm-hmm. Because that is also something that happens in the show. Yeah, yeah well, you're referencing Octavian going up and just saying, you, yeah. you there, you have proven fertility. You are now my wife. Yeah, you'll do. <laughs> Who's my husband? Don't worry about your husband. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose the, 
what you're get, like what's happening is over this 10 years the as as these alliances always do they begin to crumble and what you mentioned there is very important J- jacob because what we have to remember is that during this 10 years where octavian's in rome okay he's trying to ingratiate himself to the senate but he's also everything antony does is making him look good so whereas he is trying uh, octavian is trying to embody the traditions of rome uh, at least publicly yes at least publicly uh, he's looking across at antony and he's saying okay so first of all antony had a perfectly good roman wife and he just like dismissed her and threw her, threw from, her out from a, from a good family, from a good wealthy, powerful family. Yeah, yeah. my he, family. He, <laughs> yeah, yeah, my family. Yeah. and he's also basically uh, like in the eyes of sort of a conservative senator in Rome. What Antony is doing in the East, having kids with this, uh, this I suppose seductive temptress, temptress, and living openly with her, um, it, it allows it allows Octavian to say. He is becoming entranced by the softness of the East. He's becoming like a sultan or, you know, uh, he, yeah. he, he's no longer a Roman. Look at me. I'm the real Roman. Yeah. I'm the one you should support in the coming war. A- mm-hmm. Anthony is is not too clever about how he handles this situation because he really becomes entrenched in his life in Alexandria with Cleopatra. He marries her. He has kids. He declares her the, ki- the queen of kings. And then he declares Caesarian the one true heir of Caesar. Yeah. Now that's the ultimate fuck you to yeah. Octavian. Like this kid here I've got, this is Caesar's first and only son. You're not really his son. Now that might be true that Caesarian is uh, Caesar's son. But Caesarian is legally a bastard. He's not actually recognized um, by the Roman law. All of that combined with what Michael was saying there where, where we've got a situation where remember that there's, there's an incredible cultural sexism. The idea to the Roman Senate that they would need Egypt, Egypt led by a woman, yeah. to provide them their food. It's just there's another and the, 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 sort of I think the icing on the cake or the straw that broke the camel's back, if you like, of their alliance was there was a a, a rumor, whether it's true or not, that Antony had made a will, and in that will he had given Roman territory to his kids. Yeah, you know, so basically. Setting him in the eyes of the the, Ro- the the Senate in Rome, he was setting himself up as a king in the East, and this was music to Octavian's ears because yeah, now he can. Sorry, I was going to say in the show, the slave Posca, who is also yeah. someone who bumbles through history. Yeah, he's another one of those. Yeah, yeah. is he real person? You don't know? Never Not, heard no. of him. No, no. no. Um, of. Well, he anyway. He actually uh, sails back on the ship that brought Atia and Octavia over and brings this will to Octavian. But you said we we're not sure if it was a real. Uh, well, like it was like he did have a will read out. He did read the will out in the Senate, but whether or not it was a real will is sure. This is the, the thing. So, like yeah. uh, a lot of this is propaganda. Like there could have been some truth. He undoubtedly had a will. Everyone had a will back then. Mm. But whether these were the exact details, I'm sure Octavian would have over-egged the pudding as much as he could. Yeah. It should be yeah. said as well, the act of Octavian doing this, that was a massive gamble. Because it, reading somebody's will who's still alive, that's a serious cultural no-no in Rome. So for Octavian to do that in the Senate, it's like that's a that's a serious sort of, you're with me or you're with him, this is it. This is it. This is it. This is the crucial moment. This is the Caesar's cross and the Rubicon moment. But I guess it paid off because this, I mean, again, it's fast-forwarded in the show, but this all leads to another civil war it does it splits the two inconsolably that's it 40% of the senate goes over to Antony oh wow 
that's that's something that the show doesn't portray. But yeah. he's still enormously popular. And C- and Caesar, as I'm now calling him, Octavian, mm-hmm. uh, him reading out the will, that just incenses a lot of people. They're like, you can't do that. That's, that's you know, you've taken it too far now. And Octavian's argument is, he's declared an illegitimate child, this child of this Eastern witch, to be the king of Rome. We can't have it. You have to join with me. We have to put him down. And this is kind of, this, uh, this whole scheme by Octavian, it shows how much of a political genius he was. Like, he mightn't have been a military genius. We spoke about he had Agrippa for that, but he was a political genius. He knew how to push the buttons of the senators at Rome. And so when when it came for the final push to what we'll talk about, Actium now, he had, he, he had a ton of support behind him, you know? And cleverly as well, Octavian portrays this as the war against Cleopatra, not the war against Antony. This is the war, uh, you know, it's it's not it's not Anthony. Anthony's a victim. Yeah. And and it, we have to go and stop her. You know what I mean? So he's, Augustus, as as is, always in later life portrayed it as, uh, it's the East versus the West. It's the decadence and the, the uh, softness of the East against the Roman Stoic uh, sort of virtue of the West. Yeah. As much as it's men against women in some, in some yeah. respects. You know? And uh, so how does this civil war play out? Because we have... Uh, again, like I think the show's gotten better at skipping past battles because in yeah. season one they skip past the battle, but it's in like the middle of the episode. Mm-hmm. And granted, they they also did like full scale battle. The one uh, Philippi is is pretty greatly portrayed. Like, yeah, it's pretty it's good. Very impressively, yeah. lots of money up on the screen. Um, but for this one, it happens between episodes, which just makes more sense. Uh, where basically in a, in episode eight or wh- whichever one, maybe I got it messed up, but uh, Mark Anthony's like, "Yeah, I want a war. Let's do this." And then yeah. the next one, he's on a boat and he's like. Like fucking hell! Yeah, yeah. So what happened in between there? <laughs> well, yeah, this is the theme. So Anthony's thinking, okay, this is it. I can beat him. I'm a better general than him, and that is true. Octavian is no is no real general. Now, it's a couple of factors that have to be taken into account. First, the armies are absolutely gargantuan. Secondly, a lot of this is going to be naval warfare, and it's naval warfare just because by virtue of the distance between the two forces. Yeah, Octavian's forces um, move into Greece, and Anthony his forces, his naval forces and his land forces move up towards Greece. So he brings his big flotilla of ships up towards Greece as Octavian's fleet comes around. Now Octavian is of the belief that the crucial battle is going to be naval, so he puts his best friend Agrippa in front, in charge of the of the navy. Uh, Anthony and Cleopatra's fleet is actually, believe it or not, slightly bigger. They have bigger ships. Um, Octavian's ships are smaller, but they're more manoeuvrable. Um, and essentially what happens is Anthony makes a logistical error. So he decides he's going to camp his troops uh, in the port of Actium and he's going to bring his ships in to, to supply them. Yeah. What happens is Agrippa brings Octavian's fleet around and they essentially blockade them into the port, even with a smaller ship, thinking that Anthony will try and put, punch through the middle and will flank them. Mm. And that is exactly what happens. So he goes, we've got the bigger ships, we're just going to hit them in the centre and it'll be fine. We'll wipe out the fleet, we'll supply our army, and then I'll lead our army and crush Octavian, because he doesn't know how to run an army. He'll just, you know, just kid. He'll wipe him out. It all goes horribly wrong in a naval battle for Anthony. They completely underestimate Agrippa, which I would suggest no one ever does again after this. No mm-hmm. one underestimates Agrippa again. And uh, the battle goes horribly wrong. Um, Cleopatra and Anthony's own ship is in the middle of this, and they decide, we have to get out of here. So they, they punch a hole in the centre of Agrippa's line, which is fine because they just wipe out from either side, but they get away. He gets back to, to Egypt. At the same time, 
there's an army encamped um, to the east of Egypt, which is under uh, a general who had been loyal to uh, to uh, Antony. He's a guy called Panarius, and he he has he just has a few legions there, whatever. But Panarius sees what way the weather's turning, and he goes, "Nah, no, fuck Antony. I'm gonna have a go at him now." So he sends messages to Octavian, saying, "I'm on your side now. Let's take this guy out." So Antony uses what's left of his army, goes up against Panarius, but he loses because mm. Panarius has twice as many troops. Antony doesn't know that. Now he's back in Alexandria, and all he's got to do is wait because Octavian's coming for him. Yeah. It's, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what we see, and I must say brilliantly portrayed in the show, how Mark Anthony is, like, in uh, sort of drunken, yeah. semi-madness, sort yeah. of debauchery. We've all been there. Yeah. 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 Well, in this case, he actually is correct in that he's going to be dead in the morning. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, enemy at the gates, they're locked up, just having, you know, doing mock fights with people, going insane, yeah. talking about his glory days with our friend Lucius Farinas and, and all this good stuff, some fantastic acting. And where does it all end up for him? I mean, there's traditional Roman end suicide he, he digs in thinking that he's going to defend Alexandria yeah because he thinks himself well, there's nothing else left to do and for him it's it's also important to point out and also probably to some extent for Cicero they just can't believe that this guy has beaten them they can't believe this kid Octavian has actually beaten them so he's he's completely distraught and he probably makes a lot of further logistical errors. He was he was over arrogant and probably drunk when the Battle of Actium <laughs> happened in the first place but now he's at Alexandria there's only one thing really left to do. It's either you die in battle or you kill yourself. Um, Octavian's forces come up to Alexandria. They're now reinforced by the other army from Panarius. So he's an enormous army outside of Alexandria. He can't he can't stand up to a siege. It could last years a siege, in theory. But Antony's forces, his garrison forces, they go over to Octavian too. Because they, they, they know what's happening here. If we try and stop this enormous army from Caesar, we're dead. So they go over. Um, Anthony kills himself he basically does the classic Roman thing puts on his armour I think to show him doing that in the show right? Um, sort of actually Lucius Verinus very sweetly puts it on him after he's uh, after dead the fact, okay. and puts his rings on him and everything to make him give him a proper Roman death yeah um, but did he put the coin in his mouth as well so he could cross the river Hades it's not in the show. I don't know okay. what happened in real life, but he did. I, he did. I, I, he did. I, I almost <laughs> thought it was like too fantastical to be real that Cleopatra tricks him into thinking that she's killed herself, so then he kills himself. But so in the show, uh, we have Caesar Octavian giving this uh, message that no, you're you're fine, Cleopatra. But yeah, it's but, really Anthony I want. Yes, yeah, this other guy. Let's get rid of him. Yeah. And so she tricks him into thinking that she has killed herself, and that was real, Mark. Yeah. So. So she kind of like I, I can't stress it enough like if Cleopatra had been a man <laughs> and hadn't had to overcome all the things she had to overcome it wouldn't be talking by virtue, about by virtue Octavian. of her gender <laughs> yeah I think she probably would have done them all in really yeah. um, she she realises the jig is up and thinks to herself I've one last chance now can I get Octavian on my side the same way <laughs> yeah. that I did Mark Anthony and the same way I did Caesar so <laughs> Anthony goes to kill himself, stabs himself with the sword because he's he's heard from one of Cleopatra's slaves that she's in the mausoleum and has killed herself, but she hasn't. She hasn't killed herself at all, but she knows that this will cause Anthony to so the jig is up. Um, so it's it's claimed that he's brought her to her while he's dying, and he's sort of he dies in her arms, kind of thing. Um, while she survives, what she does is she approaches Octavian, sends emissaries to Octavian, and to see. 
if I meet him face to face, can I can I get away with this? Like, can I can I sort of keep my throne as a client of Rome or or whatever? But Octavian's out of patience. He knows what she what her game is. He's not having it. So he sort of speaks to her and he says, "Yeah, yeah. Look, come back to Rome with me, and uh, we'll present a public front together, and it'll be fine, and all of this kind of stuff." And she's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course I will. Yeah, of course I will." But really, what he's saying to her is, "No, I'm going to have a triumph, and I'm going to parade you through the streets of Rome in a cage." because you dared to stand up to me, because I'm Rome. That's sort of what he's saying to her. And she knows that that's what he's saying. So she takes poison and kills herself, because she's not going to suffer the indignity of being paraded through the streets of Rome as a slave. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the end of them, and the end of really any resistance to Octavian, because yeah. fuck Lepidus. Um, <laughs> well, Lepidus was done away with a while Lepidus before. Lepidus had retired uh, at this point. He was the, the Pontifex Maximus. He was oh, wait, the Pope. So <laughs> Wait, sorry, what? He was the Pope? He was the Pope, yeah. So uh, at this point, uh, or just before this happens, but, uh, Octavian outmaneuvers Lepidus politically, and he says to him, retire, and you can keep the office of Pontifex Maximus. Because that was for life, so he couldn't have taken that from him. And Lepidus goes, right, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not a Catholic. There were Popes before uh, your man Jesus was born? Yeah. So the ro- the Pope's okay. official title is Pontifex Maximus, mm. which goes back Chief to priest. which goes back to the Roman era, which is what they call the head of the priesthood. Yeah. Right. Okay. There you go. Here you, so, go. So you know what? Lepidus, we keep saying fuck Lepidus. He seems to have done all right for himself. Just kept his head down. To be honest. Out in Africa for a bit. The only one who survived. Lepidus did an amazing job of not being killed by Anthony or Octavian. Like, <laughs> yeah. at that point, really. Like, I mean, he's like, fair play. Like, you know. But it's only because they knew he was so useless that he was no threat to His him, heart really. wasn't really in it. Yeah. You kind of, you'd have to yeah. say, like, he just didn't have the same level of ambitious. So, Where, whereas Octavian at this point is the, is in Egypt with this massive army and he has himself named Pharaoh. So this, sure, right. yeah, Just like, before you head Because that's what you do. Home. That's yeah. what you do. Like, so, this is it. Like, he, I suppose the immediate result of the Battle of Actium is that he, like Octavian, annexes Egypt as is like his personal, his personal fiefdom, thing, yeah. you know? So he, like, so for he goes, now on, He goes back to the Senate and he's like, oh no, the Senate's in control but I own where all the food comes from. But no, yeah. but the Senate. No, but we all know who's in control. You know, no, no, the Senate's in control. But the army's with me, and I have all the food. No, but this, you know, the Senate's in control. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, like we all know he, who's he's, in control he's here. the undisputed <laughs> master of the Roman world at that time. You know, and this is sort of, I suppose, what I'm. I, I'm interested in this period because this is where he starts the rehabilitation of his personality. So obviously, in his youth, he's considered a terrorist, and now he's going to try and re. Uh, <laughs> basically resurrect himself as the saviour of Rome and this is what we see so one, one thing I want to say about the show the show has Pullo and Caesarian sort of walk off into the distance sort yeah. of happy happy ending uh, no Octavian's not going to allow this the, the quality that he has but is is uh, two Caesars is one too many he has a, he has Caesarian butchered he yeah, just has yeah. There's no one's going to be left a chance. This ruthless like. streak. He's completely. Again, he butchers yeah. this boy. Like he just has murdered. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So uh, I suppose after that, if we just want to tie up a few loose ends, like um, Oct- he's done it, Octavian. He goes back to Rome. He has like the biggest triumph ever, uh, and it's sort of like a nod, saying this is the last triumph you're ever going to see. Mm. You know, um, except for someone from my own family. You know, uh, he kind of. He's very clever because he essentially he, he he pretends that he has is reestablishing the republic. So as just what Mark says here, it's all false. So when it when it comes to basically twenty seven BC, so a few years later, he officially actually hand, hands over power in his own terms. 
he says to the senators, the Republic has been refounded. From now on, I will just be a the first among my equals, the princeps. Uh, I will no longer uh, hold all this power and all this type of thing. But as Mark was saying, you know, this isn't this isn't true. None of this is true. It's all a sham because in reality, he holds the food supply, Egypt. He, he also holds four uh, he holds uh, he tri- tribunal power, so he holds the act of veto over anything the Senate does, and he also cont- continues to control four provinces, the most important ones: so Gaul, Spain, uh, Syria, and Egypt. So even though he officially is, in his own words, looking for the quiet life, everyone knows he's the boss. Yeah, it's just now the Senate can go back to pretending that they have relevance and pretending that uh, that they have power, and I suppose. Uh, Octavian or as Augustus as he has now been named by the Senate for re-establishing the Republic he he is very happy to go along with this facade because he knows that he controls the power even if he doesn't call himself emperor he, he, he knows that he is emperor you know yeah, and that's how Rome becomes an empire. Basically, what we talked about these past four episodes is the yeah. story of that. This is this is the uh, the the no one individual's death other than Anthony precipitated the empire. I mean, once Anthony's gone, there's only one game in town, and, and it's Octavian. Octavian who insists that he's Caesar. Octavian who gets called Augustus. It's because of him that the word Caesar sort of means king in some cultures, sort of means leader. Yeah, everything like, from Kaiser to Kaiser Tsar. Tsar. Yeah, that all comes from there. That all comes from him. And he he is uh, in control um, implicitly, really. I mean, it's it, as you say, the, 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 the trappings of the Senate are still there. And it's still there as an administrative body, and as it will remain for a long, long time. But there's only one game of town. He is the emperor. And that's and everyone knows it. And everyone knows he it. even then becomes the chief priest. He becomes Pontific Maximus when Lepidus dies. So sure, then he gets becomes. So he's not just the son of a god. He's Augustus. He's also the refounder of Rome. They call him the second Romulus. He's the savior. He saved and, the people. All and he he's the, the chief war. priest. So basically, yeah. he embodies the state. You know, as far as uh, as far as anyone's concerned, he's sort of the ultimate expression of brains over brawn. You know he's that's true. He's yeah. devious and evil in how yeah. he does it. But this is a guy who can't. He can barely lift a sword, and he just beats everyone at every turn all the time. What does Augustus mean? Why? What's the significance of the name change? I, I think it's like exalted one. It's like mm. they couldn't call him. So they talked at the time about giving him an honor to to in recognition that he re he officially refounded the republic in twenty seven uh, BC. But they couldn't. They didn't want to call him obviously a king. Because yeah. that had such negative, you know, uh, uh, such a negative uh, cultural culture yeah. in, in, yeah. in, in Rome. Yeah. They didn't want to call him Romulus because uh, Romulus was a Romulus was a king. So they chose basically Augustus, which is like exalted or yeah. holy one, you yeah. know. Uh, and so that's sort of it's it, it's something beyond king, even you know. It's more like a it, it's almost religious. And you know? I, I imagine they would have consulted him on it. On, on what to call himself and his whole game remember here is that he's restoring Roman values yeah. this, this whole thing is all about values you know, sounds familiar virtue. yeah doesn't yeah. it yeah I mean he's a, mo- he's a model for the dictator Like, so he's, he's the idea that he would be august and he would be above pettiness and above all all rubbish of course like, but this is how he's sort of portraying himself and then he also has like lies 
positive lies spread about himself, propaganda spread about, oh, did, did you know that the emperor once did this? And you know, you know, yeah. all of that kind of stuff, the cult of the emperor, that all yeah. comes from here. All of that, it, his reformation of his public persona, it ties in really interestingly to um, the supposedly originally intended ending of Rome, which is not as it's portrayed in the show. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not completely sure if this is factually accurate, but from what I've read, one of the original thoughts on how to end the show would be to have a scene where Titus Pullo is in his 80s or something, an old man, and he goes to uh, uh, Lucius Verinus's grave and he commits suicide there. And he does so on the orders of Augustus or Octavian because Titus Pullo is the one remnant of Octavian the boy oh, who has good. now become the god mm, in his own view. God, yeah. And even though he you know, he 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 likes Pullo a lot and whatever, it's like, that's the last act of eradicating the false past where yeah. mm. he was a weakling or whatever. I mean, in the show, the two of them come across him being whipped, uh, dragging a cart or something yeah. as a slave in the yeah. first episode. Yeah. So that he know, was... He knows him before the myth. Yeah. yeah. So that's part of the original ending that's uh, interesting, as planned, yeah. I think. That's uh, interesting. So... Yeah, that's it. That's all of Roman history. Just kidding. That's just a tiny slice that we've covered in four <laughs> fucking episodes. So uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this uh, deep dive into the topic. Uh, if you have any thoughts on how we process this show, we'll definitely do other shows as well. But we figured for season two, we should do a, uh, at least one big historical television show. Yeah. There's a lot of other ones out there uh, that we may get into. Um, please feel free to send us suggestions for things you want to hear about. Um, you can send those in a review on Apple Podcasts, would be most appreciated. And you can also find all of our other coverage of, uh, well, all, all kinds of television shows at showswhatyouknow.com. Are there any uh, additional thoughts or anything you want to get in before we wrap up on HBO's Rome? Uh, there's just one thing I wanted to say, I suppose. It's, it's, it's more about his legacy, uh, Augustus's legacy. Like, he, he, he reigned for 45 years, and when... He came to on he, when he was on his deathbed. You know, he famously had brought the city from a city of brick to a city, created a city of marble, and he'd reshaped the Roman world in his image. And apparently, his last words were, "Have I played the part well? Uh, then applaud me as I exit." And I thought that was quite, <laughs> you know, poetic, even yeah, if it good. could be bullshit. But yeah. you know, yeah. sounds good. You know, that's pretty good. I think it's just another another sort of interesting point he's regarded as the first emperor of rome um his descendants i always thought it was an interesting point that his descendants are also actually anthony's descendants through the true female line so anthony is anthony and augustus are, are sort of both involved in the bloodline that creates the future generations of emperors the famous ones that you know that's Caligula, why it's called Nero. Uh, julio claudian yeah, dynasty yeah, yeah. 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 Well, fun facts all around. <laughs> uh, that's great. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this deep dive. And you know what? Uh, that's the end of the reel. Yeah, in the words of Horace, uh, time for a drink. After all, that was <laughs> over, you know? So thanks very much. Is that a Roman fellow or someone from there? Yeah, he was a poet, was Horace, who was a contemporary. I don't, I don't know anything about history. Ah, <laughs> uh, you do now, Jake. You do now. <laughs>